this Heroes rearranged to be the agents of change To fight the power, to be the difference If you stand up for people speaking the truth You might be a change agent too Hey everybody, welcome to the Change Agents Comics and Social Issues Podcast, where we explore graphic novels that have something to say. Brought to you by Change Agents from Renegade Arts Entertainment, available now on Comixology. Fight the power, be the difference. I'm James Davidge, and I'm joined today by Karen Mills of the Alberta Advantage Podcast. Hello. Jason Memmel of Sage Theater and the Penciltown Podcast. Hey there. And Stephanie Chan of Foam Armory and Smash Pages Comic News. Hello, everybody. Every episode, we discuss a notable work of comic literature while considering its artistic merit and its ability to address our social concerns. And today, we're talking about Pass Me By Electric Vice by Kyle Simmers, and Ryan Danny Owen, published very recently by Renegade Arts Entertainment in 2021. Growing up, I was not very aware of the LGBTQ community, but it existed around me for sure. In fact, an old family friend, one of the key people who introduced me to the practice of collecting comics, as it were, came out to his very Christian family years later. I hear it went better than one might imagine, and I'm sure there's more to that story. Teaching at a middle school that focuses on the arts, we have been supporting young people who are LGBTQ plus for years. I have seen a shift in how parents encourage their children through their developing years for the better. While still not ideal, Many children are finding it easier to express themselves and explore their identity than ever before. For my recent graphic novel, First Legion of Utopia, about socialism in Alberta during the 30s, I included a main character who was homosexual. During my outreach, a friend connected me to the Calgary Queer History Project, where decades of LGBTQ plus stories are being stored and shared. This led me to an interview with one of their contributors, Teresa Malley, a local playwright who helped me better understand the impacts of our muted stigmatizations and outright prejudices, and how to bring all of that into character development. So now I'd love to hear from, uh, from our guests. Do you have any connection with or thoughts about the LGBTQ plus issues or representation? Stephanie? So I always felt like comics was an excellent outlet to have like marginalized voices um, be heard um, since uh, comics is, uh, even though most people know the major, the two majors, DC Marvel, um, there's lots and lots of room for independent publishers to kind of come through. And um, and there were a lot of unique stories throughout the years in, in these comics. So, so um, I don't think uh, anything is unusual in, in that sense or, or, I shouldn't say unusual. I don't think anything is particularly different. And I think uh, comics is still an excellent medium to continue with this. All right. Thank you. Uh, Jason, your thoughts. Um, actually, both of those groups or both of those 
two of the things that you mentioned in your intro are connected to me as well. Um, the Alberta Queer Calendar Project, or not, sorry. Yes, actually, the, okay, let me correlate my contents here. Uh, the um, Alberta, what are they, the Calgary Queer History Project and uh, the Alberta Queer Calendar Project are both things that I've been involved with through a project we did at Sage Theatre called Legislating Love, which was the story of the last person to be jailed for homosexuality in Canada, and he was a Calgary bus driver. Um, so I've been lucky to work on that project and then uh, work with some of the artists involved, including, including Teresa Maley, who was uh, one of our historians for that project. Um, so as, as somebody who identifies as uh, mostly um, uh, uh, cis and uh, straight, it's been, uh, it's been, I think, really enriching for me to try to discover how to be an ally as much as possible. Um, and I've been really honored for some of the queer artists that I've known to be able to, uh, to allow me to, to work with them and, and to learn more about a world that I didn't grow up in to, uh, uh, through their work. Um, and then I think uh, one thing I find in comics is that, and particularly connected even to the work we're going to talk about, is that I think um, a lot of really excellent queer content has come through specifically in comics. Like I feel it's a, it's well represented in an independent comics world, um, not as much by the by the the big publishers, but uh, but I think there's something about the medium that draws it that actually draws a lot of uh, uh, people who who are striving for representation to create the work that they want to see. All right, thank you. Karen. Uh, uh, so I don't have so much of a connection to comics, uh, LGBTQ plus representation, but um, reading and discussing the book that uh, we're going to cover in this episode uh, reminded me of another area of interest that has informed a lot of uh, my learning about history and uh, representation uh, of queer folk and that's uh, glam rock and music so <laughs> for, <laughs> for some reason I was very drawn to uh, this genre at junior high high school and this isn't a time where uh, they hadn't kind of had that synth revival in the 2000s so slightly before that so you had to look for old records and things if you wanted to hear glam rock or synthesizers or things um, but of course a lot of uh, folks in that genre were queer or had some sort of relationship with uh, queer symbolism and history and representation. Like I know David Bowie was always a topic of <laughs> uh, speculation on, on his sexuality pretty much in his entire life. I think uh, it's more or less been settled that he was bisexual, but um, that's literally posthumously, posthumously, no. <laughs> After his death, you can cut that out. <laughs> I cannot say that word right now. I'm not going to try either. So, so. okay, um, <laughs> I'll just start with after his death. Again. Okay, um, well, great. Oh, it's oh, not done. I... <laughs> just oh, in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> okay, um, so I'll get recomposed again. Um, so after his death, uh, so I'm not sure even if he were still alive, he would settle on defining his sexuality, but certainly he is a figure of queer history. And I noticed there's more than a couple of references in uh, Electric Vice uh, to Bowie specifically. Um, and then uh, a lot of the writers and things I followed from Oscar Wilde to contemporary folks have been queer. So uh, I think I might have been a bit more aware of others than others my age uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but I definitely want to dive more into 
uh, representation in the comics medium specifically. I've, I've sort of um, encountered it here and there, like in the Berlin books, for example, where it's kind of in an element, but not a main feature. So uh, this has been an, an inspiring experience for, for these books we're going to read. So. Great. Hi, Thank can you. I just jump in real oh, quick? Oh, you, you bet. You bet. Yeah, because I kind of kept mine very, um, just very comics, a laser focus. Yeah. But um, but after hearing the others' responses, I can add a little bit more personal uh, bend to it. First of all, little quick disclaimer is uh, Kyle Simmers, who worked on this book. Uh, we go way back, actually. Okay. We go quite a quite a ways back. Um, I was friends with his cousin, and then we ended up going to the same like comic jam kind of art things together and things like that. And it's just kind of funny that we both ended up in Calgary eventually independently. So okay. um, so yeah, and um, I've always been. Um, surrounded by many, very, people of various different uh, uh, queerness or identification and everything like that, that none of that has ever been unusual to me or out of the norm. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, it feels like a little bit of a privilege and a little bit of a shock that how normalized it was in my life and then seeing how the outside world receives it. Um, and um, I think I really noticed how negatively it was in the, in the in like the real world when I started working more with uh, kids who were cyber bullied. And that, that's, a, that's a really hard one. Um, and that even includes, um, I know a teenager who actually committed suicide about a year after coming out. That was very, very, that was a very hard one. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing more there. And, um, and interesting that you have such a personal connection to uh to this book coming up so um i'm going to jump into the summary here uh everybody um here's your spoiler warning um uh there will be spoilers so electric vice is the second volume in the pass me by trilogy the first volume gone fishing introduced us to eddie a small town senior who is dealing with growing memory loss and a past full of complicated relationships the second volume electric vice gets into that past in a blaze of rock and roll glory and glamour, small town bar style. The story starts with a present day prelude where a young girl is seen traveling by Greyhound bus and then waiting at a stop. We then see Eddie driving in his truck and listening to an old song on the radio. The story cuts to the past where the majority of this volume then takes place. A young Eddie is playing in the local band Preacher John and the Ragged Choir after oh at the at the nearby bar. After finishing their set, Eddie is, expresses his frustration with Preacher John about their band's lack of growth, seemingly condemned to play John Denver covers. Soon Eddie finds himself captivated with Lou, the lead singer of Electric Vice, a touring glam rock band. Eddie and Lou strike up a fast, flirtatious friendship. Eddie ends up closing the night playing in Electric Vice and is soon touring with them. While playing bigger gigs, Eddie struggles with his clear attraction to Lou, who tends to spend time with female groupies. Eddie redefines his image with some changes of clothing. Lou begins to recognize the attraction between him and Eddie, but every time they get a little closer, Lou pulls away. At a music industry party, Eddie strikes up a conversation with a woman named Jody. This character was seen in part one on a wall of portraits as being with Eddie 
and likely being the mother of his daughter. But this night doesn't end with those two together. Instead, Eddie and Lou leave the party and find themselves kissing under a lightning storm. We then jump back to the present for a brief moment where we see Eddie pull up to pick, his, to pick up his granddaughter from the bus stop, ending part two of Pass Me By. And so um, I want to hear from everyone here. What about the story stood out to you? Jason? Uh, it's in a way like the, um, the, the synopsis that you gave, uh, goes by pretty quickly. And yeah. what I found impressive was that, um, that for what, what is generally a short amount of story, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of time taken on the page. And by yeah. that, I mean that like, uh, a lot of the band, like the, the, the music scenes, the, um, the, the parties and things like that, there's lots of, uh, I don't know, I would call them, I guess, comic montages. Um, a lot of really interesting use of uh, lettering and color and panel placement and and um, the way the figures are drawn to all um, to make pages slow down, if that makes sense. Like you, oh, you'll, yeah. you'll really spend a lot of time on a particular page or a particular section. Um, and then, and same thing with the emotional moments too. Like there's lots of, uh, this is, it's tricky to make, a reader pause and this book is good at making a reader pause at at moments when the characters are pausing um again through the way the the pages are constructed uh um yeah so i think uh uh this story really stuck uh, struck out to me as a uh, stuck out to me really rather uh, in terms of how well um uh how well composed it was like i always felt like i was exactly where the artist wanted me to be um and uh and I think also as well, like, so it's a very emotional story. Like you're, it's not, um, it's not heavy on plot beats. Like it's not a, this isn't a detective story. This isn't a whodunit or a, or anything like that. It's literally, it's just like, what does it mean to, or what does it feel like to be in these moments? And um, uh, I've never, I, I guess uh, what stood out to me, I guess in the end was just that this is probably one of the most expressive books I think we've read so far on this program. Okay. Yeah. Good terms there. Um, all right, Karen, what about the story still to you? All right. Uh, I don't think I can talk about this volume without uh, talking about the first volume because it's um, at least the story seems very connected. It's There's not much passage of time other than that both stories are kind of composed of going back and forth between the present day and a memory. So volume two, most mostly takes place in the past and kind of has a dreamlike uh, quality the entire time, <laughs> because I think we're um, uh, sympathizing with Eddie, who is remembering better times when he's not angry and confused based on uh, the first book goes quite a lot into his developing dementia. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, there's kind of happier times in the second book. Um, and I, I love the use of the, uh, I suppose this overlaps with the art, but in a book like this, you can't separate them very easily. But uh, the use of all the song lyrics and the lettering, it's like there's hints of it in the first book, but it's really used very effectively in the second and gives it kind of more of a you know, vivid quality rather than uh, just being entirely just kind of airy and light. It's very like 
electric, I guess you would say. So yeah. if we're going to uh, take from the title. So, and I did appreciate the nods to, I was trying to figure out uh, the members of the band, if they were supposed to be specific analogies to real world rock stars and things. And as far as I can tell, they're kind of just composites of types, but that makes them more original characters. So yeah. Well, yeah, at one point, well, interesting that Jason, you referred to how kind of, I, I quickly went through the summary. I kept thinking about, geez, trying to break down the song lyrics, but there are original lyrics that are in there. Yes. And there's a lot of depth to it. And I think it would take me, I didn't, it would just take a lot of time. Like, I think there's there's something in there to dig out. And then I like what Jason said about kind of the pauses. But then, yeah, Karen, what you're saying there, um, at one point when I was kind of just, you know, I had the summary just in my head, I was thinking of describing the lead singer as, as a cross between um, uh, Robert Plant and uh, David Boy and Lou Reed, but I don't know whether uh, yeah, and a little as you say, they're, they're... Little, yeah, there's like <laughs> just about everybody is, is in there, and I'll have a recommendation for a movie that does the same thing. Oh, uh, cool! When, when we go to recommendations, but uh, oh, I might even I think I might even know what you're talking about. But we'll we'll <laughs> yes. wait till we get there. Exactly. Um, no well, here let's for that. let's give a, and I know we're all keen to talk about the art, but let's give Stephanie. Time sure. to uh, talk about the story for a moment. Anything about the story that stood out to you? I was stunned at how well the book basically was told through the song lyrics. Yeah. Um, and large sections of it too. Like we were getting mm -hmm. like a music video on paper. Yeah. And uh, I, I just thought that was so brilliant. Like, mm -hmm. um, and uh, like, um, I, I, it's hard to talk about the story without the art, to be honest, because I yeah, feel yeah. like because both uh, both of the creators are uh, visual artists in their own right as well, and 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 it really grasps onto that um, the harmonious um, sequential storytelling that way. But um, but basically, a good a good middle section of the entire book is is the concert, and it, yeah. it felt like there was so much story being told uh, just with the song lyrics and then all the imagery involved in it, and it was so expressive. Yet it's just the song lyrics but yeah. it really moved the story forward and i just thought that was brilliant and unique and i don't i can't even think of another comic that did that no i mean i i can think of certainly sometimes i know alan moore's like to use some uh uh old kurt vile lyrics sometimes every now and then in, in the stories but um and and and, and, and it, it, in parts but like you say it was such a dominant part and the lyrics were original and yet for me i just kept it just kept making me feel like I was young and hanging out in dingy, in, in dirty bars, and um and 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 it, and and like you say, almost conveying that idea that every night out, which is I, I is is like, you know, James Joyce's Ulysses. It's 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 you know one day, one day at a bar is an epic story, and and I think that there was a lot communicated here about that. Um, okay, well, let's jump. Um, let's jump into the art. As Stephanie said, like. So much of this, I think, the strength of this is the art. So I'll be, um, uh, so yeah, well, we'll just get started. Karen, what about the art stood out to you? Uh, well, it's hard to say one thing stood out to me yeah. other, other than the art, because it's uh, mm -hmm. what I was saying as we were chatting before recording, it's just one of the best looking, most beautiful books I've seen. And I, I actually did mean to ask, uh, so I have the first volume and it's mm -hmm. printed, I think, on Rizograph. And I was... I was curious if volume two is going to have the same process or if it's going to be just standard digital color. So, I mean, either way is fine. But they, just... they, they did book, do both versions. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah, because I, so you've I got mean, a, I really... You've, 
You've got the Resograph version? I do. Uh, uh, volume one, uh, I think volume two, we we had read a digital copy. So. Yeah, we got, we got a preview um, copy. Perfect. Oh, I, I did the Kickstarter. I got the. Oh, Rizzo. amazing. <laughs> so, well, that's great. I'm going to definitely have to seek that out because it's also, I think we've talked about this a lot in previous episodes, but there's definitely been a trend of moving from physical media to digital and things like mouse that we we like the physicality of uh, the book and the ink work but it was like an older book so it's great to see something that was produced in you know the last few years uh, just make like a great physical object that certainly it doesn't take anything away to read it digitally but I think there's just something about um, this process uh, that just adds even more layers to the story and the ob objects. So, uh, yeah, and the use of color is, I'm, I'm uh, kind of a sucker for kind of monotone or, <laughs> or very limited color uh, stories. And I, again, I can only think of a few that there's plenty that are in black and white or kind of sepia or something, but there's only a few, I think like Shoplifter, I think of has a, um, uh, which, is pink and black, but the certainly uh, is unique for this book as well. So. Right, uh, Stephanie. Thoughts on the art? Yeah, there's no secret. I absolutely, absolutely love the art. It's so expressive. Like every panel just like flows into each other. Um, every every expression and even the body positioning and everything is is also highly expressive. Um, like what Karen brought up, the color was uh, an, an agalus for most of it. It was very uh, lots of pinks and purples. There's a little bit though with uh, old Eddie. It goes back to old Eddie and there's teals work back into it. Turquoise and teals work back into the, the artwork. And uh, I just, I just kind of like how there's that interesting little separation of the, the flashback versus, versus the, uh, the current time, I guess. Um, um, I like, um, so uh, Kyle is known to be a very um, a predominant uh, mural artist in, in Calgary. And, um, and to see what they've done with the, um, with the sequential storytelling here is this is this is like very high level like like Eisner worthy type artwork. It is just mind blowingly good. I I cannot stop raving about how good this book is yeah. and how beautiful the artwork is. All right, Jason, thoughts on the art? Dare you be critical of the art? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. In general, like I think I find being critical, like I think it's often it can be good to be critical, even when it's something that you like. Um, yeah. Uh, but in this case, uh, actually, I'm having there's I'm not <laughs> I'm not blowing smoke. I'm having a hard time yeah. being finding anything to deeply critique. Yeah. Like, I think um, uh, the, the best compliment I can ever usually give a work is that it feels like it's doing exactly what it wants to do. Yeah. And it is it's succeeding at what it's trying to be. And I think that's a very good good uh, description of the of the the quality of the art here is that it's like um, at no point do I get that that sense of a gap between the impact they want the art to have and the impact the art is having. Um, uh, like so, I was saying before about the pauses. Like I was so struck by how. Um, uh, how how the 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 page construction moves you through the 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 emotional feelings of the story by like uh, by how like large the panels are or how where they're placed in the 
in the configuration, sort of the montage of the page um, and the way the color is used as well to give you, um, even though the, the colors are being used to determine which era we're in, even the, the, like the amount of color or the amount of tone in, that, in the page can, can affect how, sort of how, how, <laughs> how deeply um, submerged we are in the memory or how like maybe how distant we are from the memory in different ways. Like, um, and, uh, and the other thing is like, so music for me is actually kind of a bit of a blind spot. Like I, I'm often the last person to pick up on a music reference and something. Um, and I would admit that I probably even wasn't getting most of the music references you guys have been getting, but I think I always knew in the story how I was supposed to feel in the moment. Um, from the posture of the of the musicians in terms of how they're behaving or how how our character is responding to them, like I I knew I knew what that moment w meant or what it needed to mean, even if I wasn't getting the reference. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, thanks for all that. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, for the art, and, and everyone's been chiming on uh, on the effectiveness of color. Uh, and I remember for me when I when I opened it, I knew like this is pretty spectacular art for coming out of Alberta. And it was for me that the their the uh, the ability to draw characters, the the you know both realistic but the, that realistic but but slightly characterized kind of look that is very quite literally looks like an Eisner type artist like not not an Eisner award artist but looks like how Eisner used to draw people, and um, and so there's just a really impressive craftsmanship there with with the uh, with the quality of the art. So I remember that jumped out at me. And, um, and and I guess just for me, I remember an overview um, of of the uh, kind of the book. I remember when I read the first one, I wasn't overly impressed. I was sort of like, "Oh, this was good," but but I was a little. I didn't fully know what was going on, and I remember feeling a little confused and feeling like maybe they could have provided more information in the story. But now it's interesting because I I read the second, I read Electric Vice, whatever, about a month ago, and then I went back and re-looked at that first book and looked at it with totally new eyes and and just found it all just sort of fascinating how how they were the seeds they were planting and they're clearly creating something that is to be kind of eventually read as as a as an entire book um much like and, and people might be uh, uh recommending this one as similar but uh it it, it definitely has an essex county type uh vibe in, in some ways as far as uh, making a trilogy that ultimately is meant to be taken in a, as a whole, as a whole book because, um, yeah, I found Electric Vice just compelling and like people were saying, just, uh, it, it, yeah, it certainly had me think back to my days uh, watching lots of live bands and even even every now and then getting on the stage. So, um, before we uh, move on to similar works, anyone else want to add anything about Electric Vice before we move on? That's okay. We oh, um, yeah, yeah, one little thing. I just yeah. like. Um, that this is an Alberta story. Yeah. And um, you don't hear stories like this coming from Alberta very much, to be honest. Small like, town Alberta. Alberta. Yeah, small town Alberta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, and then that just adds another element for me, being born yeah. in Alberta, city, not not small town. Yeah. But, uh, but still, that just added another element of wow for me, that um, that, the, that this is this is homegrown. <laughs> Yeah. And, and incredible and progressive and and unique and uh and yeah that comes from alberta 
There we go. Yeah, that was definitely something that stood out to me as well. I'm like, wow, this is, especially with Electric Vice, I'm like, this is the perfect Karen book. It's just literally like grain elevators and glam rock. Like what what else can be added here? <laughs> so. There we go. Cool. Well, and, and, and well, so let's jump into um, similar works. Uh, and this, of course, can be books or, or, or film or, or anything. Um, so Jason, similar works to suggest. Uh, it's, uh, again, this might sound like I'm, like, I'm just heaping on too much praise, but honestly, I have a hard time trying to compare, like trying to give, give a suggestion of any similar work in the sense of it being where if you read this book, you'd get, you'd get a similar experience from another kind of work because it's such a singular kind of collaboration. I guess maybe the, the closest thing I would say about a similar work would be their first book, which would be Uh Pass Me By, um, uh, which we've already kind of referenced. Um, but I think in terms of that, like, uh, queer history, queer representation, uh, exp- the the kind of exploration of what that of what it means to develop that that identity in uh, in this part of the world. I would actually, and I'm not doing this for self promotion. I'll promote more my collaborator, uh, Natalie Meisner, who wrote Legislating Love, um, okay. which is it's a published play now. Um, and that yeah, so that play, I think, might have similar notes in the sense of um, characters trying to define themselves. Um, or trying to discover themselves in uh, in an environment that is at times sometimes very welcoming and sometimes very not. All right, thank you. Um, Karen. Right, so for comics, uh, actually something that Jason talked about reminded me of a similar work, uh, not in terms of subject matter, because I find the author has a very different perspective on the past than the authors here, but in terms of how time can slow down, uh, definitely works by Seth. So that would be, uh, I thought Clyde fans in particular, cause it has just a very deliberate, like slow intentional pace. And uh, the way Seth draws characters are a little more cartoony than are found here, but uh, similarly expressive in some of his works. So I think that's, again, it's not very similar, but uh, the, the qualities that we're discussing about this are certainly ones that I've noticed with his work in the past. Um, and then we can go on to movies because again, I mentioned uh, some glam rock movies that I certainly enjoyed as a teenager. I think they've held up pretty well. The second one might not hold up as much, but, um, and uh, also to another point of Jason's, uh, I think the music references or something in, in these comics uh, pass me by are something that adds to it if you get them, but you're certainly not missing anything if you don't know what a song lyric is or if something is a like a pastiche or a homage to something, it's you're, you're, the way that he put it is in, you're still entirely getting the emotion and the context, whether or not it's like, oh, I know that that's, you know, a, a song lyric that I recognize from an old song, or I know that's something that Bowie and his band did on stage or whatever, <laughs> like it's all, it's all, uh, there if you catch it but i don't think it's necessary to know all those things to understand the story and enjoy it um so that said here's some other if you want to learn more about glam rock and some uh references that you'll become familiar with uh velvet gold line is the first one i would definitely (laughs) suggest so this is very similar in kind of the story construction and like characters of electric vice where all the main characters in that movie are pastiches of real people and there are definitely archetypes within that story and it um like i mentioned before there's a 
connection drawn between Oscar Wilde and his worldview and the 70s glam rock decadence era. Uh, and it's just a fun movie. I think as far as representation, it holds up pretty well. It's kind of a, a fan fiction or extrapolation, if you will, since most of the uh, glam rockers from 1970s Britain were straight or they turned out to be not quite as queer as they had their stage personas as, but uh, with a few exceptions, like I mentioned Bowie, but uh, a lot of the performers were not as queer as they are presented in uh, Velvet Goldmine. But again, it doesn't take away from that story. And then the second one is uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which oh, yeah. I, I think I've actually seen on stage in Calgary. So yeah. I'm not sure who was uh, presenting that. Uh, do you remember, Jason? That was us, actually. That was Stage Theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I'm glad that uh, uh, that I could enjoy that in person because I did mm. enjoy it uh, as a movie for many years. And I liked that um, the the script or the book is such that you can update it to the current time. Although as, as we move forward in time, it gets a little less plausible that uh, the main character could have been, you know, uh, experiencing these events within her lifetime but um and i have read criticism of uh hedwig more so as a movie and how um the director presents it as um basically like a queer or cis gay man story presented through the lens of a transgender experience that he wouldn't have experienced uh but that's kind of uh, a little bit beyond what i can uh articulate or have a position on but I, I did want to highlight that so if you're watching it today you might find that it's not as evolved as a lot of the trans media that we're seeing now where the characters are a little bit more understood as their trans identity versus a queer identity um, but it's still a great movie slash musical slash great songs characters the animations in the movie are fantastic that's just a nice highlight uh, for some of the songs uh, so those are definitely, if you want, just like a fun glam rock evening. <laughs> That's a good double feature. So Absolutely. Thanks for those tips. Um, Stephanie, any similar works to suggest? Okay. Um, the uh, the Bowie graphic novels. Um, let me get the proper name here. Hang on. Bowie, Stardust, Ray Guns, and Moon Edge Daydreams by uh, Mike and Laura Arlard, as well Ooh. as Steve Horton. Um, they basically kind of went through the David Bowie Ziggy Stardust time, and uh, it it does cover the um the, how his career kind of like kind of came out of nowhere, and then how he had this alter ego, the Ziggy Stardust ego kind of thing, uh, but then things started like falling apart. So it's it's a little bit of it reminded me a bit of this comic where it like looks back at, at things and how it developed and how there's certain struggles involved. Um, and because it's uh, Mike Allred's art, he's very, um, again, a, 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 like a, a kind of a realistic slash cartoony kind of thing, kind of vibe going go there. Um, so there's, there's a lot of similarities in subject and uh, I, I wouldn't say it's the same art, but it's definitely like like along the same lines. Um, that would be the, the most similar work I could think of um, as a someone who doesn't really know a lot about glam rock. Um, th the book itself actually made me kind of want to like, just even dig into Wikipedia more about the history and things like that. Cause, uh, cause like, I know 
who these artists are, but I don't really know anything about these artists' background kind of thing. And it, and this book actually makes that that time period of music like like more interesting in a historical point of view now. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Um, my suggestion isn't really glam rock based or LGBTQ plus uh, based. It's more based on the similar in, in pacing. And I guess in the uh, broader uh, scope that this is a book, especially if we look at the two volumes and what the third volume will be exploring um, around uh, disease and, 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 and losing our, 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 our memories and our minds um, is uh, I Never Liked You by Chester Brown. And, um, and I know that uh, Karen mentioned another Toronto Quarterly uh, mainstay, uh, Seth. And uh, Chester Brown, this is one that he did uh, years and years ago. And it's an, it's an autobiographical book where he's basically exploring um, the death of his mother and, and, and his mother's struggle with, with disease. And it's, I remember, I mean, I read it years ago. I remember being one of the first um, graphic novels that moved me to tears. And, uh, and it had similar kind of pacing. Uh, it knew how to, it's like what Jason was saying about how um, it, it, maybe Jason might even have to correct me if I say it wrong, but it, it knows where it wants you to be. And, and, and I felt like that was um, one of Chester Brown's oldest works and in my mind, still one of his most powerful. Um, so um, thanks everyone for um, a, a great, uh, talk about a great um, uh, book, Electric Vice, uh, from Renegade Arts Entertainment. And um, But before we move on, uh, Stephanie, any uh, any updates, uh, anything to share with what's going on in your uh, busy life? Oh, my goodness. Um, I just signed on for Animathon in Edmonton to, oh. to table there in mid-January. It'll be, it's called a Taste of Animathon, so it's Edmonton's big uh, anime and manga convention. And uh, they'll be, um, this is like the first time they're doing it since the, since before the pandemic. So, so oh. I'm sure it'll be an interesting and exciting turnout. Cause I think everybody's like so sheltered lately and it'd be yeah. nice to get out in our costumes. <laughs> and uh, so if you're around then, I hope, hopefully I'll catch you then. Cool. Um, Jason. Uh, actually nothing much to mention. Well, no, actually I take that back. Um, if you're in Calgary in January, we're going to be doing a play, uh, kind of connected to the character of Ed that we don't see a lot of in this book. Um, uh, in the sense that in the, in the first book, we gain more about, we learn more about Ed gaining dementia. The show we're doing in January is about, uh, is a semi-autobiographical play by Clem Martini about, um, how he's a caregiver for both his brother who has schizophrenia and his mother who's gaining dementia over the course of the story. And it, it shows how um, how that caregiving, particularly caregiving that has to be defined within the family without the, the support of, uh, of uh, the, the provincial government, um, how quickly that can unravel when, uh, when it's sort of being, when it's on sort of fighting on multiple fronts. Um, so we're gonna do that show near the end of January in the C-Space Theater. Oh, wow. I read years ago Clem's uh, book that he did with his brother uh, mm -hmm. called Bitter Medicine. That that was a very moving collaboration uh, that, that involved his brother. It was all about him uh, helping his brother navigate, uh, you know, the Alberta's healthcare system. And his, yeah, brother, this, and his brother provided art art to it. It was really cool. Exactly. This mm -hmm. this play is an adaptation of the second book in their series. Oh, called okay. The Unraveling. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, wow. and it's a. I should say too, it's a fictionalization. So we're not yeah. we're not just putting Clem's family up on stage, and that's intentional on right. Clem's part. But uh, yeah. but it's coming from that semi autobiographical place. It's a 
Um, it's sort of, I would call it theatrical creative nonfiction. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Sounds yeah. really awesome. Okay. Um, Karen. Uh, yeah, this is going to seem a little tacky after that, but uh, we have t-shirts at the Alberta. Yeah! Advantage merch! Yes, yes. Well, we we do try hard to send our uh, Patreon supporters merch uh, on a quarterly or uh, bi-yearly basis, but uh, just for December, we're doing a pop-up shop, so um, yeah. it's through a company called Bonfire that I think they were originally founded to do campaign shirts for political campaigns. Uh, so I've I have a couple from uh, other podcast campaigns that uh, they're they're good quality, and we have some exclusive designs. Uh, so if you if you enjoy the art in Pass Me By, especially in Volume One, where there's a little bit more Alberta scenery, we have grain elevators, we have wheat, we have flocks of geese going across the sky. So this is inspired by by kind of '70s book covers and records, which again I, I guess that connects back to the kind of nostalgia we're we're talking about uh in this episode uh so again that's only for december only and for december yeah well it's okay now <laughs> i, I want it now you gotta get them well, i'm trying to wait till after i survive now. survive december gift buying for my family well now. exactly well if you if you order it now you can have it in the new year that's kind of what we were well, that's fine. Uh, positioning yeah. it as with all the su- supply chain uh issues and things we don't want to promise any any uh you know, we'll have it overnight or anything, but uh, certainly if you want some new looks for the new year, that uh, would be what we'd recommend. And if this goes well, there might be some more uh, similar stuff in the future. So. All right. Exciting stuff, everyone. Okay. Um, all right, folks, as we come to a close, I will mention one more time that this podcast is brought to you by Change Agents from Renegade Arts Entertainment that's available now on Comixology. Written by me, James Davidge, and illustrated by Nick Johnson, the Change Agents feature a universe of superheroes that explore our social contract. Tune in to our next episode where we'll discuss Superman, Son of Kal-El, numbers one to six, by Tom Tyler and John Timms. Should be a great conversation. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Night. All right. Okay. Bye, everybody. Oh, oh there we go.